Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello, my name is Stuart Miles and welcome to the Pocket podcast. This week, Pocket editor Chris Hall and I discuss how we've been using Zoom to carry on our daily lives during the lockdown. And continuing our focus on sustainability, I've been talking to Andrew Hurst and Christoph Meineker at Residio, the new home for Honeywell Home Products, about smart heating and how we'll all be able to save money and the planet by heating our homes in much more efficient way from today really or the past or in the future and just because you can never get enough chris he's also here to give us his verdict later on on the new electric mini but first zoom so chris how have you been using the video conferencing platform well it's kind of come out of the blue obviously uh situation for a lot of people has changed and zoom has really stepped in stepped up to the mark and connected a lot of people the most interesting way that I found myself using it is taking part in quizzes, which seems to be oh. a popular trend. So yeah, I've been in some quizzes where there's been about 15 to 20 people, a quiz master who has to furiously control the muting to make sure that everyone's not shouting the answers to each other. Um, and, it's, and actually, it works really well because of the way that you can share your screen and show the questions and be able to play music through it and stuff like that. So It's probably not what Zoom was going to be about when it was launched, but it seems to have been able to fulfill a wide number of roles. So do you think that's, I'm curious about this quiz stuff because I haven't, I've had lots of different Zoom conversations, lots of weird uses and wonderful uses for Zoom. But do you, like, was the person that was opted to be the quiz master, are they generally that kind of person that would down a pub be like, let's have a quiz kind of, Approach, or was it just someone randomly thought they'd step up? I think it was just someone who randomly decided to uh, step up. Now, bear in mind that this quiz was part of a school quiz. So it was all, actually all of the teaching staff from, well, not all of the teaching staff, but many of the teaching staff from the school. So one of the teachers just said, I want to organize something, which teachers like to do. And she organized a quiz, and we've done two weeks of it now. And it's fantastic because you're getting to see people that you haven't seen for a while. Um, and it's it's just becoming a thing. And it's great. It's great to see other people on the video feed. It's great to be doing something other than just sitting at home watching TV. Yeah, I think now I think the the, the one that I've had, which is, is there's two I've had, which is quite interesting. One, I, I uh, attended a church service um, last Sunday, uh, wow. which which was great and obviously the vicar did his uh, his sermon and all the other stuff which was was quite an interesting way of doing it um he had a piano in the background and so he's like right let's we're all going to sing hymns and, and you, you were singing yeah i was basically singing, on your own at home singing with my wife and the kids at home in our lounge strangely enough he'd muted that muted it that bit obviously probably so we couldn't all drown ourselves out um <laughs> But yeah, it was some of those things. It was like a, learn- a new learning experience. It's again, certainly something I never thought I'd do was go to church over Zoom, which is, you know, quite yeah. an interesting concept. Um, the other one is I, I 
every month I go out with a bunch of guys who all live locally to a pub and then go for a curry, which is, you know, a very British thing to do, I suppose. Uh, the curry house is obviously closed. And so uh, we still met up on Zoom and everybody had a, uh, everybody had gone and either ordered a, made a curry at home. Or, or uh, sort of made sure they had one in their like you know ready meal in their in their weekly shop that they'd got delivered, and then a couple of beers, and we all sat there. And what was really nice was the guy that had organised it, like the the so called chairman of the curry club. Uh, he had got the restaurant owner that we always go to 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 come on to the Zoom <laughs> chat as well, um, and they were using the virtual backgrounds, which a lot of a lot of the guys were using the virtual backgrounds of where they'd taken. They'd got a picture of the restaurant that we normally go to and then have put that in their virtual backgrounds. And I think that's something you, I don't know whether you've experienced of doing with a lot of people are, are experiencing fun and games with the virtual backgrounds. Yeah, I think that's, I mean, that's, it's, it's funny that, that you should do, do that, but this is definitely becoming the trend. It's not just about sitting in your living room. It's about adding all the extra spice that comes with it. And um there have been some big stories in the in the papers or, well, not in the papers. I haven't seen a newspaper for weeks, but <laughs> stories about people turning themselves into potatoes and getting stuck. Teachers teaching lessons stuck as a, a talking vegetable rather than being the person that they're supposed to be. So I think that ha- is adding a lot of spice and interest. But with any service that suddenly becomes popular, there's always the counterpoints to all of this this connected connectivity is great but there's also a but as well isn't there yeah i think there's obviously going to be concerns about security and about the sort of um the ability for these devices to be hacked uh, there was obviously the, the zoom bombing very early on one of the features i think of zoom was that you could um you could just send out, uh, you could broadcast your meeting and say, hey, come on and join it. Because the thought that suddenly all of us would be using this this product to then suddenly jump in. And what you found is it was called Zoom bombing. And you'd find that uh, people would find these 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 URLs online just because people had you know, said, hey, join us for a chat. And then just start either trying to hijack the meeting, being mean, horrible, trolling, showing pornography in some cases. Um, just while you're trying to, you know, have a Pilates class. Yeah, I mean, that it is interesting. I suspect that Zoom didn't really see this coming. They didn't know there's going to be an explosion in popularity. And in our, in my experience, and I'm sure you'll have experienced exactly the same thing, as soon as something gets big and popular, people start paying much more attention to what the surf, service is, what it does, how it works, how secure it all is and everything else. So I don't think any, all of those problems have been dealt with. I know that Zoom themselves have said that they're going to spend the next few months just working on fixing up some of these issues that have come up. Um, and I also know that some countries like Germany, companies like Google have said that you can't use this for some of the more secure conversations that you want to um, that you want to take part in. So I think if you're at home and you're just chatting to your friends having a beer, then it doesn't really matter. You're not going to be sitting there giving away your bank details. Um, if you're in the center of government talking about your strategy going forward, then you may want to think twice about whether you're supposed to be using this or not. Still to come, Chris gives us his verdict on the Mini Electric. Is it as good as the petrol version? They have modelled the Mini Electric after the Cooper S, which is kind of the step-up version of the of the hatchback that they offer. 
Continuing our focus on sustainability this week, we've been talking to Andrew Hurst and Christoph Meinecke at Residio, the new home for Honeywell Home Products. The company's been making thermostats for longer than most of us have been alive, and in 2014 was one of the first companies to actually launch a smart thermostat called Evo Home. Rather than rely on one controller for the whole house, the system allows you to specifically control individual radiators all via an app, allowing you to have much more granular control and approach to heating. Since then, the range has expanded to single-zone thermostats with digital assistant integration and much more. I started by asking Andrew what a smart thermostat actually is and how it can help those that install one in their home or office. Uh, yes, there's quite a few terms come into that. Um, smart, I don't particularly like. It, it, it's a bit too vague, but generally, I think people assume it's something that's connected to the internet and you can remote control um, via a smart app, or a, an app on a smartphone. Um, but it should really be a bit more than that, I think. The, it, it isn't enough just to have a, um, a thermostat on your wall you can talk to or control. You really need to be doing some do something for you in the home as well to actually save energy. And, and Christoph, there's obviously a lot of talk about smart thermostats. They've been around for some time. Do, do we actually really need them or can we just go to our, our old-fashioned thermostat and, and, and press a button and hope, the, hope for the best? Well, I, I think they are really great help in our everyday lives. And just Andy was talking about this definition of the thermostat and in, in my view, this is also a device that is able to make autonomous decisions and basically give us a hand in making some decisions about how our system heating system should work. Uh, I mean, one of the great features that uh, Smart Thermostat brought to us was geofencing. And that allows you to take a little bit uh, burden off the programming of the device and rely on your, on your smartphone to detect uh, if you are at home or if you are away. I think this is one of the great examples. But there are also very good uh, smart features in thermostat which are not necessarily related to connectivity. And uh, for example, some of the optimization features that allow your thermostat to actually predict when the heating system should switch on to achieve the temperature exactly when and where you need it. Now, e, um, Honeywell Residio, it's now the home of Honeywell products, um, famously created Evo Home fairly on, uh, fairly early on in the smart home experience before Nest and before Hive and those, and a, a very and gone down that kind of very, you know, each radiator has a has a has a node, so to speak, and everything is independently controlled throughout your house. That's now five six years on. What have you learned over that time that's going into the products that you're launching today? Um, it's usability, I think, is the the chief learning we, we came up with. It, it's fine having a control, but you've got to be able to use it. It's got to be friendly, and people are going to want to use it. And it's enough features that you can do what you want to do, maintain comfort, but also switch it easily when you're, say, popping up for the shop. So it isn't a chore to go turn your heating off just for a couple of hours, and you can have it somewhere close fairly easily. You can switch it off, and it drops the heating back to a more economic level. Now, in certain controls, you can also then tell it when you're coming back. If you say, I'm going out for three hours, so it knows that initially turns off, and then knows when you're coming back and will have brought the heating back up to temperature by the time you get there. Um, 
And it is the testing that we did with Evo Home really brought that home. The, the way different people approach the control, how they view it. For instance, we found that when you show people a room that you can interact with, you can turn its temperature up and down. And you said, could you do that? And you ask someone, a blind tester, can you do that? They go there thinking they can change the schedule probably. And so we we realized that. And when we developed UI, we then put in the sort of what we would view as a mistake. We weren't intending people to go there, but then we put a link there that you can do the other function, whatever they thought. And that did seem to work quite well. And we, we saw certain improvements in the in the scores we were getting back from the usability of the devices. And Christoph, Andrew talks there about learning and, and perhaps seeing things that weren't intentional. And that's always a great tool of, of, of the privilege of developers sometimes of designing something and then everybody using it completely the opposite way. How do you think we we kind of treat heating in our home? What are the, some of the current common mistakes that we make that are actually probably like costing us lots of money that we don't have to do regardless of the thermostat? Well, I, I would say in general, we zoning is still not a common way of uh, controlling your heating system. And of course, I accept that in some smaller homes, smaller properties, zoning could be less rational. But uh, if we are talking about uh, larger properties, larger homes, I mean, Britain has so many beautiful stone homes and they are beautiful, they are spacious, they're also very difficult to heat. So for this type of properties, zoning is really an ideal solution. Basically bring to the comfort temperature only this uh, rooms which really require this, the rooms that you are using, and then also set up your heating system that reflects uh, uh, the usage pattern for these rooms. Uh, I, I mean, for, for example, if you use a, if you use a, one of your rooms as a little gym where you maybe have your exercise bike, this room will really not require high temperature. It will actually be easier for you to use this room when the temperature is dropped to the setback level. I, I think this is one of this is one of these wonderful learnings that we took from zoning, and uh, one one thing that uh, that I also learned specifically as a marketing person is how often it is sometimes explain uh, the zoning concept upfront, and then how the perception of the person who uh, who is using zoning system changes uh, in line with her or his personal experience of zoning system. So, of course, every family, every user of the heating system is slightly different. Families have different patterns. For example, our family, we have learned that we never use our um, our sitting room uh, in the morning. So it can be switched off completely because it is never used until the evening hours. And, and I think this type of thinking about how you use your rooms, how you use your property, uh, it, it zoning system takes you on this road to discovery this and if you spend a little time thinking about this you can achieve great effect uh, you will be more comfortable but you will also contribute to reduction of the carbon emissions and this uh, big uh, big great goal that many of us are thinking about saving the planet and reducing our use of uh, carbon fuels and and Andrew, what do you think, taking those learnings that you guys have, have found over the last five years, certainly with Eva, with Eva Home and the zoning parts, you know, not everybody can perhaps afford a, 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 to zone their entire house. What kind of things are we likely to see for single zones, you know, for sort of smaller homes that, that they can do to, to make 
savings or or you know enhance the system well we've certainly got features now that can learn the way a house heats up and rather than not just the 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 base level of heating it needs um it's to it's to do with the the way the seasons change so a house designed around a, a an eight or ten kilowatt um heating load will very rarely be actually using eight or ten kilowatt it's generally um it's heats up for a while it's using a larger amount of gas or whatever fuel but then quickly as it gets towards temperature the the demand falls off now in the in the shoulder um, months as you change from winter into um, spring and then summer those demands can really get very very small and a room perhaps that was using a kilowatt of heat to get it up to temperature during the the winter may only be down to 100 watts of energy but that's no if that was a light bulb you think oh i better turn that off that would be ridiculous leaving that on all the time Mm. but we'd still tend to do that with zoning controls we can now start making those decisions we can learn how much heat that room needs we can see it decline as the season changes and learning algorithms can then decide yeah okay i can see it's it's warm outside now and simply turn the the boiler off so rather than maintain a radiator a few degrees above room temperature which is not using a lot of energy but it is still nevertheless keeping this boiler warm for no real purpose it's not maintaining comfort it's just using energy so we've certainly started to do that we're taking more intelligent decisions about whether the heating system needs to be on and is that something that you think Christoph? is that something that you'll be able to do through more artificial intelligence and machine learning and things like that because does it feel does it still have to require someone to think okay i don't use that room anymore at the moment during the mornings or whatever i need to learn i need to remember to turn the system off and then what happens on a saturday when i am in that room do i then create a schedule or do you think we'll get to a point where ai just kind of works this all out so i think eventually i mean we are not at this point yet yeah but i think when it comes to presence detection and also understanding of the system dynamics and how the how how the recovery times works within within each system uh, through connectivity with with the internet and using the internet uh, based uh, databases we will be able to figure out how the system should work work out and should work and eventually we should be able to take completely this load of uh, figuring out how am I using my system, we should be able to take it off uh, homeowners' hands and do it ourselves. But I, I think this is, at this point, this is this vision for the future. This is not something that we can we can offer today, but uh, our, our devices, our controllers are becoming smarter every day. And, uh, you know, mm-hmm. Andy was explaining about these algorithms that we are developing now to make sure that we can respond better to changing environment. I also wanted to add one thing to this, that uh, as we are changing our system, there are also some revolutionary changes coming through. Maybe we do not see them yet, but they will come to our heating systems. So one of the the things that is happening, and we are to some extent witnessing this already across Europe, is um, a a shift in terms of... uh, moving away from the traditional 
natural gas fueled boilers towards towards heat pumps and other uh, heat sources which do not which do not use carbon. Uh, mm. And and for this we are actually also well prepared. And for example, Evo Home, uh, Evo Home uh, will be able to handle this type of uh, this type of heating source, and will be able to move basically evolve from controlling the boilers to controlling the heat pumps. So that's also something that we that we do, and we are adjusting to this uh, new conditions and new requirements of the heating systems. And do you find, Andrew, that the 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 way that we heat our homes is is vastly different around the world, or, or do we generally all just do it the same way? No, there are quite big differences actually. Obviously, southern northern regions, yes, obviously, there's the the amount of heat you need in uh, the lower parts of France is considerably reduced even during the winter. But it's it's more fundamental than that. the The UK systems are. Um, something quite aside from the European ones in, in that we always used to store hot water in a cylinder and heat it up gradually and then use it when it was needed from a, a nice big tank. Now, they went away um, over the last sort of 20 years. They've been gradually declining, heading more towards big combi boilers, which can deliver instantaneous water. But as the market progresses and we start to see more use of heat pumps, now they're different appliances. You won't get a large heat pump that can do instantaneous hot water anymore. There'll be much, much smaller devices, maybe only six kilowatts and a a combi could easily be 30 kilowatts. So the systems will have to move back to stored hot water and head back into the 1970s and the UK systems in all probability across the whole of Europe. And if you were talking of the future, and we know we've sort of touched on 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 some of the ideologies where you think it will go, I'd love to hear your answer from one answer from both of you of, of what you think will be sort of a game-changing sort of thing that will change the way that we that we heat our homes or we 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 do along those lines in in the future. Can I have two? <laughs> no, I, I think I think one one thing that I wanted to mention. This is already happening. Yeah, I think the the amount of uh, home smart home assistants that we all have in our homes, either Google or 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 Amazon Echo, we they are, they are just there. And and I think they are changing the way we interact with different subsystems in our home in our homes. And I think heating is heating will be included in this. But when when it comes to this this, this bigger revolution, and I and I think this is a, this is a long term game. Then I would like to come back to what was already mentioned. I think uh, uh, longer term, and especially when it comes to new properties, we will see the advent of uh, heat pump as being this uh, uh, reliably reliable and alternative heat source to the combi boiler uh, and, and i think we will we will start to see this uh, more and more often and then uh, what, what will come with this it will uh, all our homes will become better better insulated so i guess i'm not uh, really discovering here anything new but uh, basically reduce demand re- reduce heating demand in our homes will allow us to use smaller energy sources and this energy sources will not be uh, fueled by natural gas they will be fueled by electricity from renewable electricity sources i think probably there's going to be quite a a big change in the way we distribute the heat within homes um radiators will 
cease to be as well suited to heating as they used to be. Um, a nice gas boiler can get up to high temperatures, but really, if you're heading towards a, a world with heat pumps as the heat source, it's going to have to move to um, lower thermal solutions, so underfloor systems or in wall heating, perhaps, or even ceilings as well. So much lower temperatures spread over a large area to produce the same effect. Then the second big effect that heat pumps will have is that they can cool as well. And installers in the Netherlands are starting to sell this as a feature of these new, more expensive devices they're having to put in, but they can also give people other benefits. And climate change is coming, even in Scotland, we might find it gets warmer at times. So we will see systems that are now doing both heating and cooling in the same system, and Eva Home in the future will have that cooling function as well. There's no question that the Mini is a motoring icon. Some might argue that the BMW Mini doesn't fall into that category, but we'd beg to differ. It's a quality small car, hugely popular around the world, that drives really well and offers plenty of comforts. Alongside the VW e Golf, it's also one of the few icons that's been converted to electric. So how does the Mini Electric, or Mini Cooper SE as it should be known, cross this electric divide and is it any good to drive? Chris is here to talk us through how he's been getting on with the new car. Well, I think the best thing about the Mini Electric is that it's a Mini. So if you like the Mini, if you've driven previous Minis, then moving to the Mini Electric is very, very easy because it looks the same, it feels the same, and in many ways it drives exactly the same way as the, let's call them old-fashioned Minis. Moving over to Electra, Electric hasn't changed the the sort of cool go-kart style driving. It's still very sporty. It still turns on a button. It's just a great, fun little car to drive. And so have they Have they done anything? Is it, have they literally just ripped out the combustion engine and put in a load of batteries? Is that is that it? Or is there anything new to this Mini that because it's electric? Well, in many ways, they have just ripped out the, the, the engine and, and put in a whole load of batteries. Although... The, the battery is all in the floor of the car. So although it is pretty much exactly the same, it is completely different as well. So they haven't just piled the batteries under the bonnet where you'd normally find an engine. Right. They haven't they haven't done that. The batteries are still in the floor. And the advantage that this gives is that, first of all, they're out of the way. Uh, so they're not taking up any other parts of the car. You don't lose any boot space, for example. Not that there's a huge amount of boot space to lose. But also means the centre of gravity is kept nice and low in the car. If it was higher, if that centre of gravity was higher up, then it wouldn't corner so well and things like that. So this is the the approach that most people are taking with their cars. They're putting them into the floor so that that uh, weight is nice and low. Um, so yeah, it is very much the same. I mean, you when you look at the front of the car, you can see the difference because the grill has been filled in slightly. So there's sort of an insert there rather than it being able to take in air. But the interesting thing is that they have modeled the Mini Electric after the Cooper S, which is kind of the step-up version of the, of the hatchback that they offer. And that has a small scoop in the bonnet, which on the combustion car helps airflow into the engine. Mm. But on this model, it's really just there for decoration to say, this is a sporty car. Yay, look. And that all sounds appealing from an outside point of view and a performance point of view. Is the dashboard the same? Is that Have they done anything there because of the electric electrification element to this car? Yeah, so this is where I 
it, it, I, my opinion is kind of divided here because one of the things that they have done is they have replaced the old driver display, which was a pair of quirky dials or dials with meters going around the edges that felt fairly analog in the previous cars. And they mm. have moved over to a digital display. And this isn't digital in the same sense as Audi has done where it's a completely customizable screen. Uh, it is very much a, it's a flat sort of pill shaped display that has digital elements on it, but you can't really go through and fully customize it. It's better than the dials before. It shows you all the information that you need clearly, but Mini's obviously trying not to take up too much space with the driver display. And I do feel that they could have perhaps done a little bit more here. But the thing is, it, it is a step forward and it is much more modern than the previous design. And I suspect that they will move this over to their combustion cars too. Now, if we move to the center of the car where you have the the bigger display, that yeah. is exactly the same as the other models. And the whole of the of the interior is basically exactly the same as the other models. And the Mini has uh, these fancy little toggle switches in it, which are very retro cool. And they, they control various functions. But on the electric version, one of those has moved over to change the uh, the strength of the um, the regeneration, for example. So when you take your foot off the power, it will start to reclaim that energy as and applying a braking effect at the same time. And you can change the strength of that so that you can have it so it reclaims a lot. Or if you turn it off, it will just let you coast, which is sometimes more useful when you're on the motorway, when you don't want to suddenly slow down. Yeah. So there have been some changes, but there was a real opportunity here to do something new. And Mini, ever since it was reborn by BMW, has had this big round dial in the center of the dash. Originally, it was the Speedo. And this comes back from the original 60s Minis, where that was one of the major parts of the design. And they have still hung on to that. And a lot of that in the current design is empty space. It's plastic. And you kind of get the feeling that it was time for that to change. I criticized it on the previous generation of Minis, well, on the last combustion Minis that I drove. And unfortunately, the same applies here. There's a lot of empty space there, and the system as a whole could be a lot more dynamic. And I, I get the feeling that you have to dig for your information about the electrics and what you're doing and your performance and all of that kind of stuff. It's fine. It does everything. It is fully connected. It has plenty of information. It has mapping and stuff, but it just feels like the software is still hanging on to the past and this whole area should have been redesigned. So that's that's my major downside here is that that there was an opportunity to make a change in the in the big central display and that hasn't happened. And so overall is it a contender? Do you think it it works as an electric car? Is it is it something you should consider getting if you're if you're about to go electric? Well, there's a couple of things to consider here and one of these is that it's it's affordable. You can get um, the electric mini for around uh, 24,000, 25,000 pounds. And that is quite cheap, but there's a reason for that. And that's because it has quite a small battery, 32.6 kilowatt hours. And that means that the range is just over 100 miles. Mm. That's obviously going to be a consideration for some people, but many are basically following the line saying, this is probably going to be a second car. This is for commuters. People don't get in their minis and then go on the drive or go on the motorway and drive for 200 miles. That's just not really how minis are used. They're used in urban environments. They're used in the suburbs. People doing short commutes, which everybody says averages around 30 miles a day. And so, if if that is your need, then it's a very good car. And I think that the the important thing here is that you have to balance off the range that you want against the range that you actually need. Because the advantage of having that smaller battery is the car costs less money, it's lighter, 
and it doesn't take as long to charge. So you bring it home, you plug it into your wall box and it will charge up fairly quickly. Um, and that shouldn't cause people any problems. It drives well, it's a lot of fun to drive, but range ultimately is going to be a limiting factor. Well, that's it for this week's show. And don't forget, if you want us to plant a tree on your behalf, all you have to do is tell us the MAC address of a Honeywell smart thermostat that is active in your office or home. Remember, the thermostat can already be installed and being used, or you can go out and buy a completely new one and then just let us know about it. But it must be active, and you must tell us before the end of this month. You can find a form on PocketLint via a link on our homepage. Until next time, pip pip. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm, HelloFresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. 